We want to give a content warning for this episode for discussions of self-harm and depression. Hello, and welcome to JK It's Magic, a bi-weekly podcast in which two bookish besties discuss mostly YA fantasy through the lens of intersectional feminist criticism. Why? Because critique is our fangirl love language, and because talking about books is pretty magical. I'm Jessie. I'm Kelly. And we're back, magical listeners. We're so excited to be back for our second season. We have a shiny new Patreon page with lots of cool rewards, so please do check that out. And this season, we're going to be reading books by Indigenous, Latinx, Black, and Muslim authors, as well as finishing some series that we started. Hello, Queen of Nothing and Crooked Kingdom. So without further ado, episode 26. In this episode, we're discussing The Infinite Noise by Lauren Shippen, which tells the story of Adam and Caleb. Caleb is learning all about his new abilities of feeling people's feelings through his sessions with his therapist, Dr. Bright. And Adam is dealing with depression and loneliness when he becomes friends with the school jock, who is, of course, Caleb. Caleb and Adam start a relationship, and we get to see how that unfolds. Initial reactions. Okay, so the book is based off of a podcast called The Bright Sessions. That's the name of the podcast, right? Yes. Okay. Um, I, Jesse, did not listen to the podcast so that we could get the perspective of someone who has listened to it, Kelly, and someone who didn't, me. As the person who didn't listen to the podcast, I expected there would be a lot more going on with the scientist stuff, the MA, the AM. AM. Okay. Um, I thought the book would be more fantastical so it was real it wasn't really what i was expecting from a book about an empath i'm kind of on the fence about it right now so the bright sessions is one of my absolute favorite podcasts and that means that i already knew the characters and overall plot line before reading the novel but that didn't spoil the book for me in the least i think it actually made me love both series better It was fun as a reader slash listener to experience the characterization across different mediums in audio versus in text. I was also expecting a little bit more drama, but the slow burn has its own kind of beauty and satisfaction. And I know I think that this is a trilogy. It was optioned as a trilogy from Tortine, and this is only book one. So I think it's going to get a lot more into the like the drama that happens in the podcast. Um, How that plays out, I would imagine is going to show up in the books. I just realized you're going to have to do this whole episode without giving us spoilers from the podcast. Okay, I'm going to do my best. Okay. And also, Lauren Shippen is one of my favorite creators, so I'm totally not biased at all. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Time to talk about all things world building in Through the Wardrobe. So this book takes place in our world, which is a pretty big change from most of the books we normally read. I think we've only read maybe two that take place in our world. The A Dream So Dark. No, the L.L. McKinney book, the Alice in Wonderland retelling and um, A Blade Mortal, So Black. A Blade So Black. That's what it is. And Mortal Instruments. Yep. The City of Bones. But that one was different because it was, what, almost 15 years old by the time that we read it. So it did feel like chronologically a little bit disconnected. Right. Um 
you're right that this is one of the advantages of contemporary fantasy slash science fiction is you kind of get to rely on what your readers already, you know, know about the world around them. Right. I do wonder, like, when we're thinking about books taking place in our time for fantasy and science fiction, how that will play out later because like city of bones doesn't really age that well so i guess that's maybe why people don't do it that often because 10 years from now when we have like google assistants in our brains (laughs) like it'll just be very different time you mean when you have google assistant in in your brain and i refuse yeah you refuse because like you're still using your iphone 6 (laughs) (laughs) okay 20 years from now kelly's still on the iphone 6 (laughs) It'll be great. Wands out. Let's discuss all things magic, or in this case, science fiction. So the biggest magic slash science fiction component that we have is obviously the atypical abilities that um, Caleb has. And then I think we also see Chloe with mind reading. Yes. So empath and mind reading are the only ones that we saw in the book, I think. Is that correct? Damien. Yes, that's right. And Damien, who can make people do what he wants them to do right and then we also see someone else who i don't think we know the scope of their powers we know that they were experimented on um the frank yes yeah Mm -hmm. he's also an empath okay yeah there are a ton more atypical abilities in the bright sessions and there's like a whole taxonomy about like which ones are more dangerous or less dangerous and need more surveillance or less surveillance um so that's I don't know if you've heard about the Bright Sessions. I don't know if I've talked about this podcast before, <laughs> but do yourself a favor and go listen because I promise I'm only going to plug the podcast like 12 more times before the end of the episode. They should be really thankful to you. They should. <laughs> um, I think being an empath would be a totally like would totally be a superpower or a super awesome power to have as a villain um, because you can manipulate people's emotions. Does... Oh, I said Adam, but I meant does Caleb become a villain? I guess I don't want you to spoil it for me or our listeners. Maybe he's too like sweet to become a villain. Like he's I can't so see it. sweet. Oh my god, he's so sweet. Um the I think that the series will get into like the potential dangers of empath powers because if um there is some shit that goes down with um Caleb in the podcast. Okay. Um and then I think we can just like basically imagine what that would be, you know, like because you, if you can feel people's positive emotions, that means you can also feel people's negative emotions. Right. And that they're like ex- exponentially bigger for Caleb. You know, it's like yeah. this positive feedback loop where he just keeps feeling things harder and harder. I guess then people could use that against him. And I don't but I don't think Caleb can manipulate emotions. I think he can just feel them from other people and get information from that. Right. But I guess if you know someone is in a bad mood, you could like because you can feel that so heavily, like you could maybe think of ways to manipulate that to like make them happier, make them feel a mm-hmm. certain way to to your advantage. Yeah, that's true. I agree with you that it would be a superpower, though. I think it would be awesome. And I think it is something that like people can actually do. I saw this post. I'll try and find it and put it in the show notes about like um, people who are more intuitive about other people's emotions and can like feel those more. Um, you sh- <sighs> never mind. It like correlates to exper- like traumatic experiences in childhood, basically. Oh, okay. But that makes sense. It's not surprising. No. But like having to be hyper vigilant and being like monitoring the people around you and their moods and then adjusting your behavior 
Oh accordingly. yeah, like as a safety mechanism. Exactly. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. But it's also terrible. Yeah. I wish, I think the world would be a better place if there were more empaths. Yeah, probably. Although it seems like, like terrible for Caleb when people are feeling bad. Like school is terrible. High school would have been awful yeah if you had empath abilities yeah probably i feel like people are better at hiding it but i guess that's what we're seeing like in the story that people are good at hiding it like on a surface level but obviously caleb knows that everyone is a fucking mess exactly and that's what happens with adam right yeah yeah exactly lawns away now we're going to talk about conflict villains and good versus evil in our segment get me kylo ren There was a ton of bullying in this story. There's like the main bully who is always being like such a shit to Adam, whose name I cannot remember now. Maybe he doesn't deserve a name. Um, He he who shall not be named. Yeah, exactly. But it was like really bad. And I don't know, maybe as like someone who was like kind of like, I know I present as a woman, so i don't i didn't have like i don't wonder if girls have less of these problems than boys do in school i don't know i don't don't think so i don't remember seeing this happen as much in school as like i feel like we see it in media and and in books but maybe Mm -hmm. it just was you know if it wasn't happening to me doesn't mean it wasn't happening to other people right and maybe it's just visible in different ways yeah yeah and i i think that it's probably happening a lot more online yeah that's so true but there was there was a ton of bullying and um that was it's not something that i've thought about for a long time it's Mm -hmm. been many years since that was even like present in my mind so i i'm i'm glad that it's getting brought up again in this book because it's something that i think a lot of people experience especially if you're like especially i don't know if you're solitary if you're lonely if you're different yeah yeah, that's true. And it's hard to, I guess, because Adam's an only child, so he doesn't even have, like, the backup of another sibling, or he doesn't really have any friends. He's kind of, like, pseudo-friends with that one girl who also likes Caleb, whose name I don't remember. <laughs> the one who's popular, right? And super smart? Yeah, she's, like, in the debate team with him. But then they become friends, and it's so great. Yeah, that part was really cute, and I was I was really appreciative that she wasn't, like, really mean to Adam after... Adam and Caleb started dating because of like because she obviously likes Caleb so I was glad they didn't we didn't see like that cattiness or jealousy or whatever that was really right nice. there wasn't any talk of like being friend zoned and how right. bad that is uh, because the friend zone is just bullshit yeah so. it does not exist Mm-mm. yeah but there was just like a lot of bullying in the novel that I was kind of surprised to see <laughs> Another um, aspect of the villains or conflict, we could say, I think, is the AM, the atypical monitors. So even the name is already like surveillance and mm-hmm. weird and like big brothery. Um, and it's kind of like this dark cloud hanging over the characters, but you don't really know. It doesn't get like explained too much what the AM is or what it does yet. I, I figure that the series is going to do this later because the villainy of the institution is much more fleshed out in the in um both the bright sessions and then this other podcast series that another spinoff that Shippen created called the AM archives that's Mm -hmm. available on luminary, um, which I've listened to most of that one too. And it's, it's fascinating how the institution gets constructed and like uh, gets constructed as the villain rather than individual people. And then it also talks about how 
individuals are complicit in the institution. And it goes within, it kind of goes into like this cognitive dissonance about like, is it the larger institution that is the problem? Is it the people who contribute to it? Is it both? And like, obviously it's both. Right. So listen to the podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> Kelly's going to plug that podcast for the rest of this episode. <laughs> I told. And for the rest of my life, I literally mentioned whenever it comes up, like podcast, audio drama recommendations come up. I'm like, yes. I mean, it's kind of cool. Like radio shows, like old school, you know, it's so cool, especially from like a science fiction perspective i can get into this later onward magical listeners just as one does not simply walk into mordor one does not simply read fantasy or in this case science fiction without talking about representations of race class and gender this is our segment about powers and bodies and how they relate let's start with race meh this book is super white or at least they don't say otherwise so to me that implies whiteness I don't I don't have much else to say about that. <laughs> That's fine. I only know that some of the characters on the podcast are played by non-white actors. Julia Moritzawa is Dr. Bright and Philip Jordan is Frank. So that shaped that knowledge that I had beforehand shaped how I imagined the characters in the book, even though race wasn't explicitly addressed that I remember within the text itself. Yeah, I think um, uh, I was talking to someone else earlier this week about uh, a blade so black and how they did how L.L. McKinney did a really good job of talking about like naming the race of each character, whether they were white or not. Right. And I really like how that makes white not the default. So I kind of wish that more people would do that. I know it's I mean, I know it feels like a lot to ask for me, but does it? Yes, but I feel like it's also not. I don't know. I think that it's kind of a necessary step as like surfacing the fact that we think of white as neutral yeah and making that visible in a different way than it has been before like it's invisibilized before that's how like why it we perceive it as neutral in the first place exactly so I think that would be like a good corrective technique and I hope that catches on yeah I really enjoyed that aspect so um and this book I just I think also because they're living and this kind of dovetails into class a little bit because they're going to like this I don't know, football centered school and like they're both on the debate team and it seemed like a lot of upper class people and a lot of times that gets, you know, lumped in with whiteness. Um, Right. So both Adam and Caleb are pretty well off, um, but we do see Frank, the former military person who was experimented on and is now experiencing homelessness. So we see a little bit of class differentiation there, but within their school itself, like the people we most see Caleb and Adam with, everyone seems like on a similar level. I would agree with that. And um, because we don't, besides Frank, we don't really see a lot of other concerns Mm -hmm. like class-wise coming up. Although I did really appreciate how the book um, normalizes these sorts of cross-class relationship, Mm -hmm. like with Frank and Adam and Caleb and Chloe, et cetera, um, without like fetishizing it right because sometimes I feel like the I don't know like servants and their I don't know like the Downton Abbey style like the servants and their masters quote unquote I don't know it just is is weird sometimes those cross cross cross-class relationships for me don't always land um and I thought that this one worked really well yeah no I 100% agree and I assume like in more novels I don't know if we would continue to follow Caleb and Adam Uh, I will okay (laughs) (laughs) but I 
I do think it would have been interesting to see more of like that Chloe Frank relationship. So I don't know if future books would focus more on like the other atypicals. Guess what does? I'm going to guess the podcast. Yes. Go listen. (laughs) (laughs) They're 25 minute episodes. It's like the perfect. It's the perfect time limit. All right. Don't be saying that when our podcast is like two hours long sometimes. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) That's a very good point. Oh, another thing I appreciated is that um, about the class is that it does show the disparate access to mental health services across race and class lines Mm -hmm. Um, because Adam and Caleb are both, you know, have gone to therapy and have access to those sorts of services. But Frank does not. And he's both a veteran and well, I mean, he's not really racialized as a POC in the book, but he is in the podcast. So, yeah, no, that's a really good point. Let's move to gender. Let's talk about it. This is only the second novel we've read for the podcast that actually features male protagonists. The first was Monty um, and Percy from A Gentleman's Guide to Vice and Virtue. Yeah, I don't think that's an accident. No, I don't think so either. (laughs) Sorry, not sorry, listeners. Yeah. yeah. This book explores masculinity more, more than the other novels we've read, I would say, also. Agreed. So Caleb is more of a jock in the traditional sense, like he's a football player and has a lot of like broy friends, it seems like, while Adam and isn't like succeeding at school as much, while Adam is the quiet nerd type who's very good at school. And both of them, despite being so different as far as their masculinities are concerned, they are both contrasted to the toxic masculinity of the boys that they're encountering on a daily basis. Yeah, 100% agree. I really enjoyed the fact that um, we see like this kind of like jock aspect of Caleb because I do think like especially in our society, we see people who play sports in a very specific light. So to see someone, Caleb, be like a football player, but he's also like very sensitive to his own emotions and other people's emotions. I thought that was really interesting. Mm -hmm. Like look at like, you know, yeah, sure, they play sports, but they're also people, you know, I, I feel like people like men that play sports get like a bad rap and I think that like the under appreciation or lack of conversation about the emotions of those sorts of men or AMAB people Mm -hmm. is part of the reason why toxic masculinity exists in the first place because if you're not talking about how you deserve you also deserve to have access to emotions and emotional connection um and when we don't do that I think is when um I don't know, those emotions get bottled up or when like, I don't know, more predatory behaviors start showing up, things like that. Yeah. It would have been interesting to see. And I guess it depends on how, like what ages they go to in the books in the future. Um, Because Adam, I think is a a lineman for playing football. So like, there's a lot of like Caleb, Caleb. sorry. I don't know why I want to keep saying Adam. Um, Caleb plays football. And I think he's a lineman, which is like kind of dangerous. Like, for brain injuries like cte and stuff so it'd be interesting to see how that like one affects his abilities but two like there's been a lot of issues surrounding cte and how it like changes your behavior and like how you express your emotions and that sort of thing um so football's a pretty dangerous game and probably high school people should not be playing that (laughs) tackle football or like young children oh my god yeah, I mean, I think in middle school, like, it's not, there's no tackle, but, like, high school, they're already playing tackle football, and same in college, and they're not getting paid, so it seems like bullshit to me, but. Except California just signed into law that 
um, players will be paid. Oh, I'm really? Sure that, yeah, I'm sure it'll be litigated. You know, I'm sure that yeah. there'll be challenges in court if there aren't already. Um, but yeah, the, California just uh, passed a law saying that college, college athletes have to be paid because they're making a bunch of money for a bunch of companies sure. and they're getting completely exploited. Well, it makes sense because I think the NCAA, like their argument is like they're students, they shouldn't get paid. Like they work for like they're doing this for the university. But like I was an RA, I worked for the university. Like people work for the university who don't play sports. So you right. Don't, you don't have to pay them a million dollars, but you should pay them. Mm-hmm. It's ridiculous. Anyways, that's not on topic, but either way, Caleb, don't don't play football for too long. It's going to ruin your brain. <laughs> Protect your brain, please. Yeah, wear your helmet. I don't think it helps that much, but like, be careful. <laughs> um, we also have a Sadie Hawkins dance in this book, which is gross. Uh, <laughs> anyone should always be allowed to ask another person to a dance if they want to. <laughs> I think that it just the existence of those sorts of like Sadie Hawkins dance, even in the context of, you know, Gen Z being way more queer yeah. and way less hetero and cis, right. Um, just shows how hard gender roles are encoded in, even in contemporary high school settings where um, like cis and heteronormativity are being more and more questioned by the people in those spaces. For sure. Did you have Sadie Hawkins dance in like when you were in high school? Yeah, we had, I only remember having one though. I think it was just, we just had one my senior year and it was like the winter dance oh, or whatever. Okay. okay. What about you? Yeah, we had one and then people were like, no. So then they never did it again. <laughs> people are like, that's, that's silly. Like, who cares? It's like a flip the script sort of. Yeah. Um, Like, ooh, but it's, it's sanctioned in this one context, right? where women finally get to ask men out and it's like super heteronormative and yeah, it is for gross. Sure. So no, thank you. Yeah. I guess we should say for people who might not know what a Sadie Hawkins dance is, is like when the girls have permission to ask boys to the dance instead of the other way around, which is just like bullshit. <laughs> my eyes just rolled so far into Same. the back of my head. <laughs> <laughs> but either way, like it's silly. And like, if you want to ask someone to a dance, just ask them. <laughs> No, but I think you're right. I think we do see that. And we see it a lot in like movies and TV shows like Sadie Hawkins dances are kind of a big deal. I bet we'll see them less and less as we get old or older. I I hope they become obsolete and then everyone just asks whoever they want to whichever dance. Yeah. Or like no dances. That's also fine if you don't want to go to dances. <laughs> totally fine. Yeah. Let's talk about mental and emotional health. That's one of the core, I would say the core theme of the book, actually. So Adam experiences severe depression and anxiety, if I'm not, is that, did I read that correctly? I think so. And then also self-harms or has a history of self-harm. And I haven't read that many books that tackle this issue. I'm sure there are some out of out there and we can link to them in the show notes. Um, I knew a lot of people in high school who self-harmed, but no one really talked about it. And I did a little bit of research because I'm me. Hair toss. <laughs> um, the CDC reports that one in four girls or AFABs and one in 10 boys slash AMABs self-harm in middle school and high school. And there's a lot of, lot of research about adolescent mental health and it's going to be in the show notes, but the main trend is that anxiety and depression are increasing significantly among younger generations. And those correlate to if people self harm or not. 
which also makes sense as like we put more of an emphasis on standardized testing and like everyone needs to go to college now because like a high school degree isn't enough and like even then a college degree is starting to not be enough so it makes sense that you would see like young people being more and more stressed the like the the world is ending the planet's trash exactly like slash climate collapse happening in what eight years or something like that Mm -hmm. yeah there's yeah i i would say that there's um i'm really glad that the book discussed this have you read any books that tackle this issue I don't think so and I think part of that is because I don't really write a lot of like realistic fiction like that's not really my thing which is fine um but I do although I don't I don't know why this wouldn't necessarily be a thing that happens in other like fantasy worlds yeah I don't think it could be hypothetically oh for sure um but I do remember it being like I want to say like a thing in like middle school and high school, like a lot of people were self-harming and it, it wasn't like no one talked about it and it wasn't really seen as like a big deal. And now that I'm older, I'm like, God, that's a huge fucking deal. Like someone should have been talking to us and someone should have been like trying to get help for people who were self-harming. So like Mm -hmm. it is kind of a big deal, you know? Yeah. I think a lot of the discourse was just like, because no one was talking about it, mm-hmm. it wasn't, it was seen as something that you had to hide that was shameful and that the discourse around like, well, why don't you just not do it? Right. And you're like, okay, huh? If I'm depressed, maybe I, I hadn't thought about just being happy. Right. Like, yeah, what exactly. the fuck are you talking about? Yeah. Like, like, that's like, not what, it, that's missing the com- the point a hundred and million percent. Yeah. Where like the meme of the person with depression, like the person is dressed as like the grim reaper like on a treadmill like i'll just work out and then my depression will be gone it's like that's not how it works <laughs> like uh, I, don't, yeah. I don't yeah and i think that's um one of the big problems with how we talk about depression is that it's like something to be overcome right and something to i but it's it's so connected to so many other parts of our world and both like the individual experience but also the collective experience right, right? i mean when climate collapse is happening and everything is trash like I don't know it seems like a pretty logical response to me yeah for sure for sure yeah so I mean I hope that like in this like in 2019 that schools have more resources for for teens like for kids and teens to like help them as opposed to just being like yeah just get over it it'll be fine um and I think it's or just like don't do it yeah yeah exactly but I think as like we get older and as like, you know, old white lady teachers are replaced like with people like us um, in our age, I think there will probably be more understanding there because it's more similar to like what we went through as opposed to like, you know, a generation mm-hmm. who could like buy a house with their like minimum wage jobs. <laughs> yeah, I think that, yeah, the empathy yeah would, would be is an important I mean like that's like the core of the novel right is right. that empathy and love are super important and their superpowers in their own right um although I do hate to alarm you but I will also be an old lady old white lady one day yeah I try not to think about it <laughs> <laughs> I'm hoping you will have spent enough time with me that you won't like be one of those can I speak to your manager like you won't get the haircut and like you know do the whole thing (laughs) so you can keep me you can keep me in line yeah for sure for sure like when you start calling the police on like kids like barbecuing I'm gonna be like Kelly permit patty yeah yeah we're gonna need an intervention (laughs) that will never be me (laughs) I hope not (laughs) I know it will not Kelly will not be that person you guys (laughs) did you relate to Adam's experience at all 
Oh my gosh. I mean, I feel like it's hard not to as a person, like as a spoonie, like to not relate to being like, don't worry about it. I'll be fine. Like, this is my problem, you know? Mm -hmm. The whole like being a burden slash I don't want to bring you down totally resonated with me. Not even just from like before, like even like last week I was having feelings like that. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Adam, I get you. Yeah. But yeah, I feel like, and I know you sent, you sent me the article and I posted on Twitter for anyone who wants to read it about um, how this book can relate back to like invisible illnesses and other than depression and anxiety. So I totally get that as someone who like, um, like last week I just was like, I can't come into work. Like I don't feel good, but I also, they're like, oh, I hope you feel better. And I'm like, I will never feel better. This is the rest I of have, my life. <laughs> like I have a chronic illness. It's not about overcoming something or yeah. curing or getting better. Yeah. It's just like, this is how it is. Yeah. But then you have to like tell people that. And I'm like, that's just too much. Like, I don't want to bother them. But also like, diff- like abled people or like not ill people don't fucking get it. Right. Exactly. That it's like, no, this isn't. When I'm saying that, I'm not just like being negative. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, that's what chronic illness means. Yeah. Chronic forever. I have it forever. I will always be sick. <laughs> I love, love, love how this book normalizes therapy. Of course you do. Caleb's in therapy. And I thought the the exchanges between Dr. Bright and Caleb were like super cute. And um, like Caleb's always cussing in his therapy sessions. And I'm like, oh, my God, it's me. Oh, my God. In my therapy. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I appreciate Caleb's ample use of profanity. I identify with that hardcore. But also it's ridiculous to think that like teenagers never swear. Like that's just ridiculous. (laughs) (laughs) So it makes sense. I really like when Adam like went off on his parents and he's like, you all lied to me and you're like basically mad scientists. Like, I think I deserve to like say one swear word. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. And one thing I I thought that um, like in a on a meta level about like the fact that therapy is such a central part of this book and like the podcast in general. Right. That Mm -hmm. the in the podcast, you're listening to the Dr. Bright sessions. Right. That's why it's called the Bright sessions Mm -hmm. with her patients. Um, But you can totally tell that a millennial wrote this. And I stand. It reminds me of that like meme, that good meme about what is it? Um. It's like boomers are like, oh, my gosh, I went to and then whispers therapy. (laughs) And then like millennials and Gen Z are like in all caps, lol. Oh, my God, my therapist and I had this conversation about whatever today. That's so funny. This is a pro therapy podcast, obviously. It is. Do you know, does Lauren Shippen have any like a therapy background? Like does she do that? Her sister is a therapist and that was who consulted on the Bright Sessions with her. And then I know Lauren Shippen, she plays the character Sam in the podcast and Sam has an anxiety disorder. Mm -hmm. And that's like how Lauren Shippen started writing the characters because she also has anxiety. Okay. That's really interesting. um, I'm sure other people have read um, Simon versus the Homo Sapien Agenda and like other Becky Apertali books, but she's a therapist for teens in particular, which I think is why her books do such a good job of like incorporating. I had no idea that yeah. she was a therapist. Yeah, huh. which is like really cool that she's like. I mean, obviously, I'm assuming none of her stories are based on her patients because that would be unethical. But um, I think it's really interesting to see how she like handles a lot of different things that maybe some other books like we don't really often get books where they have two 
parents of the same gender or like Simon is dealing with like coming out like we get those kind of books but I think you get to kind of like into the minutia of it a little bit more which I feel like is what we also got in this book so I did wonder like when Mm -hmm. you have a background in therapy it might make it a little more easy to write about those things finally it's time for shipwrecked a segment about asexuality sexuality sex romance and relationships and sometimes we take liberties and do some shipping of our own I think Adam and Caleb are just the cutest couple ever. The sl- the slow burn. It was like worth it. Oh, my God. It reminded me a little bit of Simon Snow and Baz from mm-hmm. Rainbow Rowell's books from Carry On and Wayward Son. I didn't really think about that, but I guess it is pretty similar. I'll- yeah. Cause like- just like you have your more popular visible kid and yeah. then you have the like moody one. Yeah. So like Adam is baz and yes. caleb is simon yeah of course <laughs> oh my god it's so great i love it i love it yeah it was really sweet they're just so cute together and like the flirting was adorable i thought like so those were some of my favorite scenes yeah and i really appreciated like adam's like anxiety around the whole thing where he's like there's no way that this dude like this dude bro <laughs> likes me like th- that's just ridiculous it was just like so normal you know mm-hmm. I just totally really it's like what anyone would feel yeah if like the jock who you just I mean we assume heteronormativity right and yeah. you're like what's going on here oh my gosh very relatable yeah yeah it was great another thing I really loved about the infinite noise is how it normalizes non-heterosexuality in a lot of different ways Mm -hmm. one thing I thought that was really different was that there's no big coming out scene yeah which I actually liked I mean there's a time and a place for those sorts of for sure um stories and I think that they're really important but also it would be nice if we didn't have to come out you know we could just be if you had to come out as straight in addition to having come to come out as like bi or whatever yeah well, I think it's like a good point because um, like a really good thing to talk about because like no one makes a big deal about it, which means it's also not a big deal. You know, <laughs> like you can just like whoever it's not it shouldn't have to be like a thing, you know, love. Love is love. Yeah. It's like we should celebrate it, how, you know, however it shows up. And that was that's a good point that you made, too, that like neither of the parent the parents aren't assholes about their kids yeah. not being straight Um and the siblings, Adam's sister, or not Adam's sister, Caleb's sister, totally cool. Yeah. One, well, I think it's something that sometimes, like, you know, people from marginalized communities were like, we would like books about our marginalization, like a books where we are the marginalized people in the books without it being about that marginalization. So, like, every book yeah. about black people doesn't need to be about slavery or, you know, police Jim violence. Crow. Yeah, exactly. Like, we should just be allowed to be black and live in these fantastical worlds. And that should hold true for people of different sexualities or um, identities. Like everyone should have a book where like, that's not like, that's not the problem in the story is not who Mm -hmm. they are, you know? Yeah, exactly. And, or it's about who they are, but in a different, right. um, Like from a different angle. And one of the things that I, uh, another way that I think that the book does that is that, um, there's not really a big discussion about the label that either of either Caleb or Adam are going to use. Right. Um, I don't think Caleb, like it doesn't ever come up like the, the lexicon, if he's pan or if he's queer, or right. if he's gay, like he loves Adam. Right. Regardless of gender. Right. Which was really cool. Like, I feel like we don't really see that very often. I guess maybe a little no. bit in like 
ship it where the main character is like trying to figure out like what she is like who does she like Mm -hmm. um but other than that yeah we don't really get books where people are just like i just like this person like why does it matter like the labels maybe aren't as important as the love you know exactly and yeah that's one of the one of the best parts of the novel i think um and then i also really liked how caleb was just so there was like that unsurety about or that like lack of clarity about like i just feel really strongly about this one person and mm-hmm. i just loved the um what's the word i'm looking for the candor i yeah. guess and how just like straightforward it was that like yeah i have these feelings for this person i mean it makes sense mm-hmm. i also really like that adam is a jock and dating another guy but that doesn't get much attention and it doesn't seem like the other people on the football team give him shit for it Maybe because he's a ginormous football player who, like, could beat them up. And they all think he's, like, like the coolest. Yeah. Like, he's cool, but he also, like, basically broke some dude's nose and got suspended for it. So, like, maybe they're also scared of him. But either way, like, you don't really see the other guys on the football team being, like, you know, calling him names or, like, harassing him about dating mm-hmm. Adam, which was not expected. I expected no. it to be a, an issue. Exactly. And I think that that's, like another way to get at this point that we were just making before about like the sexuality isn't necessarily like the quote unquote conflict or the problem. It's not about coming out necessarily. Yeah. It's about just like how these two people are together. And it's another way that the book normalizes these sorts of relationships. Yeah. Now I guess we do see that one person who's on the team with Caleb being like really shitty to Adam and calling him names um, for being gay. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. But we don't see that like that, same like thing happening to Caleb so I guess it's hard if people have like a better understanding of like who Adam is versus who Caleb is right and I think that and I think that one of the reasons why Adam probably gets that more of this um abuse we could call it from other people is that he's like the more feminized right like male character Mm -hmm. yeah he is Um, for sure and that's sort of, that's not accepted. That that's still more taboo on the like on this like spectrum of masculinity, right. for lack of a better word. Yeah, which should not be the case. Just Definitely just not. Let people be who they are. People are so mm-hmm. mean and rude. Ugh, <laughs> totally. This is why I hate people. <laughs> <laughs> They're the worst. Sexy times. There were none, but that was totally fine. I. I didn't think that that was what the book was trying to achieve. So it didn't feel lacking to me. What did you think? I think because I thought the book was about something else. I didn't really think about it. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I think I thought the book was going to be more about the like atypical monitoring and um, Caleb's empathy, empathic powers. Mm -hmm. Um, Then it was going to be about the relationship. So by the time I got to the end, I was like, oh, yeah, there were no sexy times. And that was fine. (laughs) Exactly. Now we're going to talk about writing style, narration, characterization, plot structure, and basically whatever else comes to mind in a segment called Kill Your Darlings. The first thing that like I had a hang up about for this book was that they use the word atypical to talk about the people with the powers, because for me, it brings to mind the show of the same title about an autistic high school boy so that felt weird to me but I looked it up and the word atypical is sometimes used synonymously with neurodivergence there doesn't 
necessarily seem to be a connection between the words, although it is sometimes used in science to describe things that don't have don't behave the way they're supposed to. So this was just like a little bit of like uh, it threw me off because like there's a show called Atypical that has like two seasons or three seasons in already, and I was just like, wait, why are they calling them Atypical? Like that's it was kind of weird. Yeah, to me. And that that actor who plays the um, autistic main character in the show atypical is not autistic so that's another issue yeah yeah the 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 fact that it's like the atypical monitors i think that that's like totally purposeful this this choice of language is totally purposeful or that they call it atypical abilities right because they're i mean it's this like typical distinction we have between um like the self and the other and the these people with atypical abilities are like the capital o other right um and then the like they're monitoring them because the people without the abilities feel threatened. Right. So like of the course. typicals, you know, yeah. feel threatened by it. And hence why we need to surveil people who aren't like us. Yeah. Um, which, you know, happens all the time, unfortunately. There are a lot of good, quote unquote, good grownups in this book. Like, I know Adam's parents are kind of terrible people, but they were good parents, it seemed like. And Caleb's parents are like trying to get him like they like do therapy Adam's parent parents like put him in therapy and try to get him help obviously when like um his self-harming became like recognizable to them so they're like a lot of good grown-ups and good parents in this book which I was like ill gross but also like good for them <laughs> also like that's triggering to me I know I <laughs> where like, are those people I was like these people exist like this is definitely fiction <laughs> <laughs> But aspirational. So hopefully we can see that world where parents are like that someday. Yeah. Yeah. If it was my... Or maybe they're out there. I mean, they might be. How would I know? (laughs) (laughs) I wouldn't know. One of my favorite parts about the book was Dr. Bright and Caleb's use of synesthesia to describe emotions. Mm -hmm. So this like mixing of senses and the different like vocabularies associated with smell or sight, but to describe emotions and a lot of what use what Caleb uses is colors because he says that Adam makes him feel green. Yeah. Oh my God. So cute. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. And, and I, I just think that the, the synesthesia was super effective and then it, as far as um, making me as the reader feel what these emotions were, like communicating them to me via text, but with these different metaphors, like waves or colors. And I also thought that that was um, some of Shippen's strongest writing. Yeah, I definitely agree. It was a great um, like metaphor for uh, Caleb's empathy, but also like, this would be a hard thing to describe like how do you feel other people's feelings like giving them a visual cue is like super helpful Mm -hmm. and like I don't even feel other people's feelings but talking about feel like sometimes it's hard for me to be like I don't know what I'm feeling right now or I can't have a word so maybe using colors would be a good way for me to figure out how I'm feeling recommend if you like Books with a super slow burn, like romance burn. Pining and soft boys is what I would say. Yeah. Yeah. We don't read a lot of those because we don't really read many books with male protagonists, you and I, but it's like Harry Potter, this. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's so cute. Yeah. It is super cute. Well, and carry on, I guess. Yeah. 
Maybe we'll have more male characters in the future. We'll see. We'll Maybe. Think, we'll think about it. <laughs> yeah, I'll think of, we'll think about it. We'll consider it. No promises. Before we end, it's time for Real Talk. Did reading this book make your perspective change in any way? Or did it make you interrogate a concept or system or trend you hadn't before? I absolutely loved the description of daydream Adam, which is when Adam is thinking about the things he would do or say if he were someone else or like a better version of himself. I did not think other people did that. So I thought that was really cool because I do it all the time. (laughs) This is totally like new to me. Can you explain or like give me an example or something? Sometimes I'll do like a daydream of like a perfect day. Mostly I do it like before I go to sleep and it helps me fall asleep. But like sometimes I'll run through like a scenario like in a different way than what I handled it throughout the day or how I would have handled it differently or like a daydream about like, I don't know, like my favorite celebrity or something, you know. But like it's like perfect Jesse in my mind, the Jesse that I wish I was if I but I'm not. So that's just like not who I am. (laughs) So that was that was super relatable for you. Yeah, super relatable. And I was like, oh, my God, I've never heard of anyone else doing this. This is so weird. Like, please get out of my brain, Lauren. It feels so seen. I know it's too much. It's just (laughs) too much. (laughs) But yeah, I really appreciated that. And I was like, oh, okay, that's cool. I didn't know. I didn't know. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. Thank you for explaining that. You're welcome. What about you? Mine is like about Lauren Shippen. I think (laughs) she she inspires me so goddamn much. She's just like out there writing stuff, like pioneering audio drama as a genre, which is now enormous in the podcast industry. Mm -hmm. And like writing, like getting a book contract for a trilogy from Tortine, which is like a super cool publishing house. And I want to meet her. She's coming to Denver. Maybe I'll go. Oh, yeah, you definitely should. Yeah. Do it. Okay, fine. No one cool comes here, so. I guess our listeners don't know. Kelly and I don't live in the same city anymore. Oh, my gosh. And it's so sad, sad. listeners. (sighs) Sometimes you just got to go to school, you know? So I'm in school now. (laughs) I know. I'm sorry. Thanks for listening to JK It's Magic. We'll be back in two weeks for a discussion of Kingdom of Souls by Rena Barron. As always, we'd love to be in conversation with you, magical listener. Let us know what you think of the episode, anything we missed, or whatever else you want us to know by dropping a line in the comments or by reaching out to us on Twitter or Instagram at JKMagicPod. Post or tweet about the show using the hashtag CriticallyReading or contact us via email at JKMagicPod at gmail.com. If you're interested in supporting JK It's Magic, you can make a one-time donation to us on Ko-fi. You can also support us monthly on Patreon in exchange for mini-sos, bonus eps, swag, and much more. Kelly is recording on Cheyenne, Ute, and Arapaho land. Jesse is recording on Peoria, Kaskakia, Payankasha, Weya, Miami, Muscotin, Odawa, Sak, Meskwaki, Kickapoo, Potawatomi, Ojibwe, and Chickasaw land. Until next time, stay magical.